0: Welcome to China Chit Chat, the show that brings you new and unique perspectives on China. China Chit Chat is a new weekly podcast where we interview guests who each have their own interesting takes on various aspects of Chinese culture, business, politics and history. Put together, we hope to provide our audience with a fresh perspective on the real China. China Chit Chat is brought to you by ADN Import Foods, and Opportunity China. ADN Import Foods provides an end to end solution for food and drink companies from around the world to help them enter and grow in the massive but challenging China market. Opportunity China is for university graduates looking to kickstart a global career. Graduates from any academic background or university can apply, and all participants are trained and prepared to start teaching in China within a couple of months of finishing university. Today on China Chit Chat, we have Chris Ruffle. Chris Ruffle is a British entrepreneur with over 30 years of business experience in China, spanning various industries. Today, my co-hosts Anthony and Will discuss his Treaty Port vineyards venture, a vineyard he built from scratch in Shandong province, featuring a faux Scottish castle. Yes, you heard me right, a vineyard in northern China, complete with a Scottish castle. It's one of those crazy, only in China business stories that has to be heard to be believed. We hope you enjoy the show. Just
1: joining us. Hi, Chris. Really good to meet you. So are you in Yantai at the moment? No,
2: I'm in Taiwan at the moment. I'm in Taiwan. Um, I came here for a quick visit uh, before Christmas to meet the in-laws, and I'm still here. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) All the flights are cancelled and the borders closed, so that's where we are. Well, it's a good spot to be right now in the world Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah, really? Probably. If you're
1: going to be stuck anywhere, Taiwan's quite a good place to be stuck. So, before I start recording, you're just telling us, please, about your uh, wine that you sell in the UK. Good.
2: Well, one of them you'll, um, you'll, you'll see is, is, is a wine called The Prince. And now you can see the, the, the picture. This, uh, this was actually taken by a, a Scottish photographer called Thompson. And I came across it in the National Archives in, in, uh, in Edinburgh, actually. And um, I was reading about him. And uh, this guy, Gung Qing Wong, the emperor, when the French and British armies uh, invaded um, in 1860, the emperor fled. And so he was left in charge. And he'd all along was in in favour of talking to foreigners rather than fighting them. That's good. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, so he was sort of proved, he was proved on the right side of that one. And, um, uh, later in his career, he's, he, he, um, set up Beijing university. Um, and, um, so, so you know, various things going for him. So I thought, Oh, well, that's fair enough. I'll name, I'll name my wine after him. So, so one of my wines, the Prince, and by reading about him, I started, uh, um, doing some research on the second opium war and, um, Really, I, I was just interested, how, how come a supposedly civilized power should end up burning down one of the wonders of the world? What, what, what happened there, you know? Um, so I, uh, and there's a lot of this material is available in the National Records Office in Kew and, and, and in the British Library. So I was reading all about that. And, and ironically, the man who was behind burning it was called Elgin. He, it was the son. It was the son of the, of the, the, the chap who was responsible for the Elgin marbles and um so so oh this is too good to miss so i so i i read trying to do fairly evenly handed to explain how how it happened and um i put it on at the edinburgh festival and we put it on in the national um um museum of scotland um they had an auditorium there and and the point of that um was they had quite a lot of the loot there i mean there were a lot of scots in the army and, and quite a bit, no, I, I made a mistake by calling it loot in my first meeting with the curator which didn't that didn't go down well <laughs> um but um, but after each um uh, uh, show we took um uh, people who were interested to go and see the stuff upstairs that came from the the gaming Yum we were just been talking about so so that was that was uh, that was that one so I, you know, i i really enjoyed that experience and i i've, I've um, i do have a, another couple of um Plays on the stocks for when um, you know when uh, the virus uh, disappears. One about my um, one of my heroes, um, Sir Robert Hart. Does that ring any bells? The Inspector General. Not for me. It made me Okay, he was he was the Northern Irishman who ran the Qing Imperial Customs for forty years. So he set up the Chinese National Post Office he set up the the lighthouse uh, system all around the coast of of, of china hell of you know, hell
3: of a story working for the qing wow. um, he was so, um, he was quite admired by sun yat-sen wasn't he um he was he was uh, uh, he left quite an impression i seem to think as is one of the more influential more. foreigners
2: they called they call it, you know cixi called him de you know our heart um hmm. and uh, oh he did a hell of a lot and um so actually, one of the other wines of mine you can drink is called the Inspector General. So I haven't got that in front of me, but um, you, so you can see his picture if you, uh, if you buy a mixed case from the Real Wine Company.
1: Amazing. So these are all available in the UK through the Real Wine Company? Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. So just to backtrack a little bit, Chris, how did you, how did, um, you know, China enter your was, world or how did you start with? with an, act, an act of youthful rebellion.
2: My, um, my relatives in, um, in Bradford, uh, where I come from, kept asking me what I was going to study at college. And I thought, look, I, I've got to think of something weird just to stop them asking. So I thought, Chinese with philosophy. I thought that'll do it. And um, that, that worked. And, but the more I said it, the more somehow it seemed it sort of came true. So I ended up studying um, uh, Chinese at, uh, at Oxford um, um, in 1977. So a while ago. Amazing. So how many
1: students were studying there?
2: That must have been only a few. Four. Four <laughs> of you. <laughs> in my whole year in Oxford, there was four. There was four of us, and there were seven professors. So you know, it was very, it was very well taught. You know, look, okay, you know, what what would you like to learn about this term? You know, we you know we can do yeah you know, we could do some uh, you know, fiction, some poetry, Tang poetry perhaps. Uh, it, was, it was that
1: kind. Of, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, brilliant, amazing. Brilliant. And after that, you you went to Taiwan or to, to China.
2: I went to Taiwan in a couple of the, you know, the holidays just to, for, for learning Chinese. But when I graduated in 81, I, I couldn't find anybody interested in anybody speaking Chinese. I can, I can remember w- waiting outside one office. and I could hear them talking inside. And the man, one man said to the other, who, you know, who, what's the next candidate? He said, oh, it's the joker with the Chinese. So, you know, it wasn't the thing. So I, so I ended up selling um, fairy toilet soap in Newcastle-upon-Tyne for two years. Uh, which was, that was a learning experience as well, and uh, and I finally got a job as an interpreter for um, a metals trading company in Beijing in
3: 1983. Wow. So, so that was... Chris, a, what was your that, uh, first experience that, that. of... Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, wh- what was your first experience of of being in China, of actually traveling to China and being in the country? Oh, it was, well,
2: it, was it was January 1983, and... Um, and uh, you know, I stayed at the, the, the Friendship Hotel, all foreigners at that time you know, had to stay in hotels. And, um, and one, of, one of the first events I went to was at the Great Hall of the People. It was the approaching Chinese New Year. And so the, the, the two guys who were in the office there to, to Hong Kong um, uh, took me to this. And everybody you know, was so fluent in Chinese. And I, I thought, oh, this isn't, this isn't gonna work. I can I can remember mentally lying down and just working out what, you know, when I could get a, a plane home, you know. <laughs> so it was it was a bit of a shock. And also, you know, Beijing in the winter as well. You know, it's, it's a bit, you know, it's it's kind of grey. Um, so, but anyway, we, we, we survived. Uh, we survived that.
3: I suppose by 1983, um, reform and opening up was somewhat underway. Um, by that time. What was the environment like there um, at the time for business and for openness to the West?
2: Well, it, it, it was still pr- pretty much closed. Um, so I was in Beijing for a year. Then I opened our Shanghai office. And at the time I opened it, um, the, the British consul there said, well, you're one of 42 Britons living in Shanghai. Wow. So, wow. Yes. So, wow. Yeah. so that gives you the sketch where we were. You know, <laughs> it, was, um, it was fairly early. And um And um, I was, my company let me out once every quarter for R&R in Hong Kong. So I went um, and uh, it was um, a a curry, um, a a glass of wine and a a bar of chocolate. And they were the the three, not necessarily in that order, but they were the three, you know, the things I needed to find when I went to Hong Kong. So still at that time, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was was pretty, you know, it was pretty
1: um, Spartan, let's say. That's amazing. That's incredible. And so eventually you've ended up in, um, what was the process from going from there to uh, having the, the vineyard? Oh, you know, that's, a, that's a long story.
2: It's, it's, um, <laughs> it, it was a metal trading company. And um, for somebody who was interested in China, that, at that time it was brilliant because it gave me, I could travel all over China. You know, if you were a reporter or a diplomat, forget it. You, know, you were closely confined to quarters but you know, mining is fine. So I, I was able to travel, you know, Xinjiang, Gobi Desert, you know, wherever I could go. So that was really interesting. And um, I, um, the, I then, one of our big business at that time was Hammersley Iron Ore. Uh, the, the company I was working for had the agency and uh, selling the iron ore to the big steel mills in China. And so um, I traveled with a Chinese delegation to Australia, to see the mines, I thought, "Well, yeah, oh, this is a nice place." So I got a job there. So I so I worked commuting from Australia to to, to China for a while, and then I um um I married a, a Japanese lady. So I thought, "Well, I better speak Japanese." So I went back to college. I went to Sheffield and learned Japanese. So actually, when I first got into finance, it was a, as um as a broker in uh, in Tokyo, um in 1987. So I had a kind of a a, a Japan. Uh, a Japanese period, and then Warburgs, who were the the, the aforementioned broker, um, asked me to open their office in Taiwan. So that that sort of brought me back into the into the Chinese uh, network. Um, so I, I I did the Taiwan and this is um, you know just after the bubble burst, and um, um, I then got um, I then decided to to rebuild a Scottish castle as one does. Um, so I needed a job in Edinburgh, and um, I had a customer, Martin Curry, who in Edinburgh. So I persuaded them to hire me, so I could go and live in said Scottish castle. And um, but Scotland was, was a bit bo- was a bit boring, really, after being in China for a while. So I I, I moved back to, uh, to, to 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 China. And um, throughout this time, doing you know, doing this mining and financial, you know, I, I like you know, I like it. I like, it, I, like it, I like a glass of wine. Sorry, one moment. <laughs>
1: It's a bit early over here, so I'm on the water at the moment. <laughs>
2: that was a wine, that was a wine pause. And, um, well, at first it was barely, you know, little wine to speak of. You know, it was, you were down to, you know, I was really tortured with Baijiu at, at that time in the 80s. Doing business in in China was very much, you know, by banquet and, and you know, your ability to to down Baijiu. Um, so I, I hate the stuff with the vengeance. Um. And um, anyway, yeah, so it continued to be poor. And I thought, look, boys, you know, we we've got to do better than this. You know, this, China is not a small place. Surely, surely we can produce some, some you know, some decent wine. And um, there was the first din- dynasty, I think, or, or dynasty, as some wits um, pronounced it, um, was the first um, kind of foreign joint venture. Um, so I, I planted, um, um, well... Um, I planted a vineyard um, in 2005 in Shandong. It was—I actually went to—I um, was visiting. I was visiting a stainless steel mill in Shanxi Province, and one of the, my colleagues who knows I like wine said, "Oh, well, you ought to if, if you go to Pingyao, and near there is Grace Winery. I mean, you ought to go and visit." You know. So I went to visit, and there was um, uh, the French winemaker there, called Jacques Collard. And uh, we had a nice uh, drink, and I said, "Well, this is, this is pretty good, but there must be a nicer place than Shanxi for a vineyard, because Shanxi is a bit—you know—it's a lot of coal mines, and it's—you know—you it's, can't, you know." Yeah. And so this, "Oh, yes, I know this place, and uh, so it was on the coast in so I visited it, and and uh, and we, we went on from there. So, uh, so I've been doing that now for
1: um, for fifteen fifteen years, but it's um it's a terribly slow business. It's a um... I love Shandong. It's the first place I lived in China when I went there. It's in, um, I studied in Yantai University.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, so you
1: know what I want to say. You know it you know it well then. Well, I know it fairly well. That was in 2006. So it was obviously a fair... I mean, you're probably... Same starting, time. Same, same time, time. time, right. Okay. So we maybe know some of the same people. I don't know if you ever went to Yantai <laughs> town. I just remember there was one guy there called Peter who apparently had been there forever. Um, been there since like the 70s in Yantai. He was like the first foreigner. But even then, there were very few foreigners in Yantai in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like you know you had in Shanghai being forty something Brits and, in a city like Shanghai. Um, but I can imagine when you arrived in the Anti there was very very few foreigners. A few, friend, a few French, interestingly, uh, there was, a, 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 there was, and
2: there still is actually a, a, a Monsieur uh, a Monsieur Hubert um, who um, actually ended up working for the the Bull, Bu for, for the Chinese foreign trade, and so he'd attracted a. A group of french to the area so um, more, more french than, than british
1: well, that's very quite a few japanese and koreans of course because it's on the you know, just on the across from, from korea you can take the boat across can't can't you but quite quickly yeah. that's great amazing um so yeah with with that how so you you found the plot of land it's quite near Yantai konglai airport right well now it is oh okay it uh, <laughs> wasn't before <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, there was nothing there. Before. It, it was a
2: Lishan before. You'll know when you were there. Yeah. It, it was Lishan, right? Um, well, that's a, um, it. Was always a joint military um, airport. So sometimes when you went, when there was some problems with Korea or something, all the civil aircraft would be delayed because there'd be MIGs landing on the on the uh, the tarmac. So now that's gone back to being a military airport, and they've opened a spanking new airport called Yentai Peng Lai.
1: Yeah, and that one is about twenty minutes from the. From the vineyard amazing amazing that's very cool and um i must i can't even imagine the amount of challenges i mean business in china is tough enough doing something quite simple um but taking a piece of land which may or may not be suitable as a vineyard um, <laughs> yeah you know obviously you, you're you're a foreigner in china still your wife is, is japanese then she's not she's not chinese and, no i just um, um, my second wife is from taiwan Okay, someone's from Taiwan yeah, so that's probably quite useful yeah, all, for, 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 for translation it, yeah. um, and so how was that how, how was it creating that because obviously that's that must have been there must have been a lot of challenges doing that
2: it's um, well my you know my day job through this period is, is finance um, you know and I enjoy going out and visiting companies and stuff but in the way it, it's a kind of a surface business you know you don't like a stock you sell it you know you buy something else or whatever um, but actually to do a, something with real production, and and then in the countryside in China, I mean, few foreigners actually get to see the countryside. You know, they go from big city to big city, and so and that's so that was a real education for me, and and uh, you know, the power of the Communist Party and how you how you have to work with them to, to, to make any any kind of progress there. Um, <clears throat> so no, it was a, it was a learning experience, as they say. I'm, I've um, I'm I, I I will plug my uh, my book a decent bottle of wine in China available on Amazon and Kindle, Amazing, um, which gives the whole grueling, grueling story. Um, um, you know, quite a bit of it is stupidity on my part, I have to say. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm not from a wine background, um, so it's more enthusiasm than the than, than knowledge. So as, as you can see, if you read the book, there are all sorts of false starts and problems, but uh, um yeah, you, eventually, eventually we um, opened the, uh, um, well, first of all, we planted the vines and that's um, about 50 acres of vines. And then I needed a, to build a winery, but I'm not French, so I couldn't build a chateau. But as you've heard, I, I, had, I have experience with Scottish castles, so I built a Scottish castle, um, which if you go on the website, treatyport.com, you'll, there it is. And, and the local stone is, is granite. So it looks as though it's outside Aberdeen I mean it looks the you know you look it looks the park, you know and um so that was you know um you know building a scottish castle with, with local you know the chinese builders was that was quite an experience as well <laughs> did you have to get uh, a foreign architect in for that to- i did well it's interesting the, the 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 guy i used was the same guy I used in scotland a guy uh, a gentleman at that time he was already 80 called ian Begg, who was a specialist in scottish castles and so he came out and um, the problem in china is that um, you can't use a foreign architect's drawings until they're translated by a Chinese architect. Right. And and that, a lot of problems occurred in that translation um, because the, the local art- architects were, you know, were very used to c- cement, but they weren't that used to stone or slate. Um, so that led to all sorts of, as, as you can read about, that's all sorts of problems on that one as well. but Yeah. So and then I bought in a you know container load of of um, antiques from Scotland and uh, so hopefully you know i I hope
1: in the future well you, know, you you maybe you get a chance to go to Yentai. you'll come and visit. Well, I live in um, when I'm in China, I live in Shandong. At the moment. I live in um, south of so you know Weihai. Um, yeah, yeah. South of Weihai, there's a town called Wendong, which you might know. And then south of that, there's like a place called Nanhai Sinchu, which is a new development area. Um right. So my my girlfriend teaches in the university there, so we spend pre-covid 3 months in that area and then 3 months back in london um so obviously i travel around china a lot for work but that is a kind of very remote base where there's uh, you know it's just local farmers that they've kind of taken the farmland and they put them into oh. a Chu, like you know uh, an area where we, we all live um, and it's being rapidly developed but kind of no one's moving there so it's quite it's quite a ghost town um yeah but yeah We're so i mean it's a few yeah, hours yeah. from from you guys i'm i'm, I'm there often I'm in oh
2: yeah no it's been, we have we have a good chef um, she was um, uh, taught uh, by a German chef in in Shanghai. So uh, you know, I you, know, you can, don't take me at my word, but I think we have the best Western cooking um, in Yantai, which is not, I have to say, isn't a, isn't a huge claim. But anyway,
1: <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> and do you li- do you live in the castle when you're there, then, Chris? Is that your? Do you have you got like a? Of course, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Four-poster bed and. and...
1: Yeah, you, oh yeah. Oh, turret? Turret? What's, what's, what's the day-to-day life like? I can't, you know. Go on, go on Matt the website and see it. You
2: know, it's four poster four poster beds and um you know panelling. And I took out I've got some early British pictures on the in the Great Hall and um well, I made it yeah, yeah. No, have a look. You'll you can see it all all online.
1: That's very cool. That's pretty cool. Well, have you got any questions about this? It's just, I find this fascinating. I love castles. incredibly <laughs>
3: interesting. And, and you know, I. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I I I was I was looking earlier um, because I, I went to university in Aberdeen, um, so I'm very used to the granite city, um, and all of its beautiful grey grandeur. Um, looking at that, uh, looking looking at seeing a building made of that rock with that backdrop is just one of the most surreal sights I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, having lived in China for so long with, um, as, as you both know, so much mock architecture that exists yeah. in the country, contemporaneously, to see something so authentic looking um, mm. with that wonderful backdrop against those rolling hills in um, Shandong province is quite incredible. Yeah. Good. Um, I, the, the actual,
2: the actual origin of the, of the whole project was once when I was rebuilding the castle in, in Fife, called Dersey Castle, and I was standing with Ian Begg on the ruins. And, and it was kind of like the, the rain was moving horizontally from, you know, from, from west to east, you know, typical Scottish weather. And we were music so wouldn't it be nice to build a Scottish castle somewhere with good weather? <laughs> <laughs> So once I had the idea of a winery, I, I sent him a, a little letter saying, oh, I found a place for a, you know, with decent weather for a Scottish castle. So <laughs> is that is that kind of,
1: how do you make decisions with these things, Chris? Because so it seems like, you know, if you've taken bold decisions in your life and big things, which is, I mean, <laughs> tells us just an amazing story. Reading about yours, like, this is, this is like, people don't, normal people don't go about life this way. Are you kind of like, there's bad wine in China, right? I said, let's build a vineyard and do it. Um, let's put a castle on there. How, what's your decision-making process with this? Yeah, well, it's, it's a bit crazy. I mean, in a way,
2: I was, I've was i been in the right place at the right time. you know. So I've, I've been there like a front row seat at perhaps one of the biggest peacetime transformations of a country in history. Yeah. Um, so, you know... Financially, I was able to, to make you know, the, the decent money. And so clearly that helps. You know, if I didn't have the money, then it would be a, a lot more, a, a far greater struggle. Um, yeah. And also you need understanding understanding wife. That's, uh, that, that, that ranks pretty, uh, pretty high
1: there as well. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's an important part of it. <laughs> um, I've read something about fertiliser about your 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 struggles to um, when you were first fertilizing the the, the grapes.
2: That was I am I can remember writing writing a
1: check um,
2: for 60, 60 tons of chicken shit.
0: <laughs> you know, you
2: know, it's one of these things that's well fair enough, sixty tons, all right. And um, so this is when we were first about to plant the the the, the vineyard and we had to fertilize it then oh dear oh dear I mean it, look, it looked like you know sort of the third day of the Battle of the Somme um going across you know the mud and the bloody chicken shit and uh, yeah and then and then when you then when you come back um into the UK of course they ask you is that bit on the form where they ask you have you been um on a farm <laughs> in, the, in the last five days I thought oh, no 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 farm
1: that's amazing <laughs> and um is there a temple? Is there a temple on your vineyard?
2: Yes, that's... Um, so another of the wines which you'll, you'll be able to get when you get around to tasting my wines is called the Philosopher. And um, when I first um, arrived at this site and planted the vineyard, there was, all that was left was a, one large stone slab. And this was where um, the temple of Chou Ji um, uh, had been. Now... Oh, yeah, this is the locals filling me on it. And Cho Cho ji actually is quite, quite a famous Taoist philosopher. Um, Genghis Khan um, heard that he had the secret of, of long life, so called for him. So he walked from Yentai to Afghanistan, which which um, Genghis Khan was pillaging at the time, um, and survived um, the interview. And um, and then thereafter claimed that if you analyze it, Genghis Khan slaughtered a lot less people afterwards meeting him than before he did, and, and then came back. And um, there's actually um, a book translated by Arthur Whaley um, called Travels with an Alchemist, um, which translates um, his disciples' book. And uh, you know, very, interest, very interesting about, you know, he, he's following in Genghis Khan's wake. So there's the kind of field of bones and stuff like that. But on the way back, in the book, there's a Jingis Khan sends him a letter, um, and and it really changed my view of Genghis Khan. This it, genghis Khan, well, you know, thank you so much for coming to see me. You know, I'm I'm uh, you know so happy, and and uh, already you know, miss you now you've gone, and uh, I thought this, this is Genghis Khan. You know, what's going on here? So, uh, you know, I don't know whether he just had a very polite uh, secretary or something, but yeah, um, so. that's amazing. That, and that book is in the library at the uh, in the Scottish castle. Amazing!
1: I have to I have to pick that book up.
2: That sounds fascinating. And and so and so they've rebuilt the temple now. So there are actually a Taoist um, um, priests in in the vineyard. So I named one of the the the, the, the wines the philosopher after in his honour. Yes, he's actually. I don't know if you ever read any of the Kung fu the, the the um. There's there's um a famous set of books um. Um, I'm just trying to, they've just translated some of them into English called um, uh, the Condor Heroes. Okay. Um, and and uh, Cho is one of the,
1: the lead characters in, in, in those books. That's brilliant. I have, to, I have to read that, Chris. It sounds yeah. fascinating. I can't imagine a walk from Yantai to Afghanistan.
2: Oh.
1: And back, did he make it back again afterwards then? He made, he made it, he, he went to Beijing where he set up a, a temple in Beijing. Which, gotcha. still, which still stands. So you've got, so the philosopher's named after the, the temple side of things. You've got the commissioner. Yeah, from
2: the- and I have my, my newest wine and I'll, I'll sh- I do have this one here. So I'll show, I'll show you this one. This is not available in the UK yet, but, but anyway, to give you an idea, it's called the Drunken Beauty. Um, and it's, it's um, in honor of Yang Guifei, the famous concubine who liked to drop or two apparently. And, uh, and what, this is my first sweet wine. Um, so, so it's a natural sweet wine. So we stop the fermentation halfway through. And it's my contention um, that if you're eating Sichuanese food or Hunan foods, spicy, this is the best wine to go with it. Um, nice. So I, you know, we can, well, I, I explain about the wine, but at the, at the moment, the, the, the Chinese are a little bit browbeaten by the French as to what they're meant to like. But, but I'm sure over the next 10 to 20 years, they'll drink what they actually like and what goes with their food, you know, with their own cuisine. And um, you know, I've, I've been served these or Premier Kuru Bordeaux and then they serve, you know, Mapo tofu or Gumbao uh, you ding know, or something and you can't taste, you know, it's uh, hopeless, you know, it's gone completely. Yeah. Um, so th- we produce our wines to be a little uh, fruitier Uh, Fruit forward, we we smooth it off at the back. I found Chinese customers don't like tannin. You know the tannin on the teeth at the end. They they don't like that, so we we kind of smooth that out. Um, So hopefully, you know this this is our our latest product. You know latest uh, product, but uh, I I, at the moment things like we we produce a rosé, which is a terribly hard sell in 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 um, China. In China, it's still ninety percent red, 10 10 percent white. Um, and, uh, you know, even though you say, well, look, you know, we have a v- nice viognier, which goes well with local seafood, you know, there's lovely sea urchins in, in, the in, uh, in, in Yentai and you know, try this. Oh, you know, when we serve it, they like it. And then the rosé, you know, they, they say, well, what's this? You mean you, you mixed your white and your red white together? What wine together? You know, right? so you have to explain, no, 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 that's not how we produce rosé. Um, but I think, I think in next 10 to 20 years, rosé will become a lot more mm-hmm. popular. You know, you're sitting in Guangzhou, you know, it's bloody hot, bloody humid. Yeah, you know, a nice, you know, crisp, chilled rosé. And it's kind of flexible with all the stuff that's on the table. You've got the meat, you've got the fish, you've got the vegetables. You know, actually, you know, a chilled rosé can sort of navigate it quite well. So I'm, I'm sure this next 10, 20 years, there'll be a big change.
1: And your, your main market for your wine, is it in China? Is it domestically? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. yeah. But um, I'm, I'm sure you know, if people go to a Chinese restaurant, they'd like to have, what was it, I guess, Qingdao beer, Tao, right? Well, so, actually, it, it, that's,
2: that's what I'm trying to do in the UK. And actually, make, hopefully, you can help me with this podcast is that um, I'd like to get into the Chinese restaurants in the UK because at the moment, the owners are missing the wine margin. Yeah. You know, as you said, you know, you, you have Chinese food. Who, who orders wine? You know you, you know, you have tea or you order Qingdao beer or something. But if you could say, oh, look, um, you know, oh, this is the Prince, sir. you know, it goes very well with that, that Peking duck that you ordered. Try, try it. Why not? Absolutely. And then, the, you, know, the, the owner, you know, there's usually a very nice markup those restaurants put on the wine, so they, they can get. But the problem is that the restaurant industry, Chinese restaurant industry in the UK, is very much controlled by a, a small handful of uh, Chinese wholesalers. You know, why, yep, there's a, there's a, there's a very few yes. number of them. Yeah, and so it's no good selling the restaurant because he buys everything through the wholesaler so I, I need to find a way into the wholesalers and I haven't yet found found that so I'm, so I'm still working on that one nice well I, I, if I couldn't help I will definitely try to because I'd love to have some of your. please and if you know, if any listeners in, in, that, in the kind of Chinese wholesaling you know, I think this is a big business opportunity you know, they could make a very decent margin
1: 100% definitely um ha, how have you found it with with working obviously the you know the Communist Party in China and doing business there as a foreigner and um, what is, have you been your kind of biggest challenges and differences in working in China than you'd, you'd face in the UK for well, example first of all I
2: have to say that the Communist Party is my biggest customer so just bear in that mind when I when I answer this question yeah um, I guess what I think foreigners don't, I, I didn't know, and I think probably people don't know, is that the, uh, the, the party secretary and the mayor tend to turn over every typically three years. And the party secretary is senior to the, the mayor, just to be clear on that point. So, okay, you, you go in, you do the eating, you do the drinking, you sign the contract. But shortly thereafter, there's a new guys, totally new guys come in. So you've got to start all over again so actually the relation with the communist party is a permanent business um so i have to say it made me more admiring of private businessmen who have been successful in china because it's 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 quite hard work um
1: you know so there's a lot of education to be done so you you mean you build the relationships and then when people swap out you have to Start at the very beginning and drink more Bajil <laughs> or wine. <laughs> and it's not just that, you know, it's, you know explain about you know, the wine industry and wine
2: tourism, because, you know, it's not just about wine, you see. We're going to get these, they're going to be doing tasting. I tried to sell them a vision of a, a Napa Valley developing. Um, so, you know, there's a wider tourism story here as well, uh, music and restaurants. and, uh, you know, and then the, And, you know, I have in the past taken them to, for example, to the Hunter Valley my winemaker comes from the Hunter Valley. So we had a group who went over there and, uh, and oh, you know, they, they could see what sort of business this was. Um, um, but, uh, but then they'll all get prom, you know, promoted onto wherever and then you guys come in and uh, it's back to, the,
3: back to the start. During yeah. your years um, working with them with such a high turnover, Chris, have you seen much of a development or change um, in um, the attitude um of cpc officials who you're having to work alongside and eat with and dine with and if so what is that yeah well first of all i have to say that on the average um
2: generally they're pretty impressive smart guys um it's a bit it you know somebody compared i, I think you know it could be compared to the medi- medieval church you know if you were a, a poor boy and you want to make your know, one way to get ahead was actually to rise to the church by merit. And so I think the Communist Party actually provides that. And, and, you know, I think if you compared a bunch of Chinese politicians with a bunch of British politicians on an IQ basis, you know, the the comparison would be flattering for Britain. Um, It's, it might be changing now, really ever since 2013, and, and Xi Jinping's crackdown on corruption, there's been a, there's been a big change. Um, you know, there's a big change in the wine industry. Before 2013, it was very much about gift giving. It's a gift to give somebody. But, but now you actually have to, the wine, you sell wine to somebody who actually likes to drink it. Which sounds a silly thing to say, but before it was all about how it looked in its nice box and everything. Now it's actually how it tastes. Um, so that's that and and in terms of the um my my wife persuaded me well forbid me uh to translate my book into chinese uh, she, she said i end up in prison otherwise um because there's lots of corruption involved <clears throat> you know um and i can you can see it you know they, the, the 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 politician has his friends in construction and whatever and uh um and it was very much about um hard assets when i was planting the vines they had no interest at all they didn't want to get mud on their you know on their nice black shoes um but when i started building the castle oh you know there's cranes and there's you know cement mixers they got terribly excited so that was a lot more interesting so they they want something to point to they want to look um in my three years i've built this i've done that i've done that i've attracted all these guys here you know promote me that and that's really the the career path for the for the, 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 the politicians now you know with the change in, in with the anti you know the severe anti-corruption that, whether a career in the communist party is as attractive as it once was I, I'm not sure so it'd be interesting to see over the next five to ten years whether you know the bright young guys still go for that or whether they go into private sector where they you know they feel they can do they can do better. So you know, I, let's, let's, let's
3: wait and see. Mm, that post-2013 point that you made there is, is very interesting. I, I've heard that from a few other people as well who have been working in various industries in China about the change um, that's come about through attitudes, um, uh, or the structural attitude in and of itself overall um, that's affected public officials. Um, what sort of different challenges um, might you face now that you wouldn't have faced in the past because of these structural changes?
2: Bits of the land came from three different villages. So the first time we had one of... So we hired some of the villagers, and if he was working on the other villagers' land, that, that, there, was some, some, you know, there was some tension there. Um, you know, and then you, you know, there's a little... The, the, our local village is called Mulangol, and so I the, the, the village head was called Huang, and so I, I hired Huang. But what I hadn't realised it was it's a bit like um, Romeo and Juliet. The apart from the, if you hire the Huang, then all the gungs don't like you at all. There's two families in, in, in Mulango. So it's, it's as a stupid foreigner, you just you, know, you drop in there. And you only find out through <laughs> through bitter experience. And were you were you buying the lands for these? The vineyard was it you were working with oh, um, i bought of course in in china you you buy land use um so yeah um the bit that the the castle and winery is on um is um land use rice for 50 years and um the vineyard is on long long lease
1: so i mean i imagine it's fairly standard process to extend to your Land use um, for, the, for the castle. I mean, building well, a we're castle for fifty years.
2: We're coming up to that, and and but frankly, if, if they don't extend it, we'll have another revolution. <laughs> you, know, there's a, you know, it's not that's not you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, people owning a lot of property, which will I'm, I'm sure there'll be some system of, of uh, yeah, you probably have to pay something and then move it over.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, of course, awesome.
3: I was um, slightly curious, Chris, about um, Shandong. Sorry, I'm, I'm very much digressing from the original <laughs> question, but um, just as we were talking about Qingdao and Shandong, obviously it's a province that is is um, quite renowned in China for its production of beer, um, the highest producing province for, for beer. I think it still is. Um, I can't be absolutely certain. I think it's still higher producing than Guangdong. Um, but the highest uh, production of beer in the country. Mm. Did you look at that as a bit of a precedent for setting things up around Shandong at all, well, or was that completely rejected? No, 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 I, I, just,
2: I just like I like the area. You know, and it, it it seems suitable. We're on we're on the same line as Sicily, strangely, which is sort of slightly surprising. But um, you know, so it, it's suitable for wine, and the, the countryside was you know is is attractive place, and uh, so I didn't think about that. They are they're they're, they're hard drinkers. Um, generally. You know, so quite a lot of Baijiu gets consumed there as well. And actually, um, where I am now in Taiwan, quite a few of the um, industrialists here, their families originate from Shandong, because a lot of uh, Chiang Kai-shek soldiers came from Shandong. Shandong was quite a... Um, you're famous for providing soldiers.
3: Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Um, and one thing that really struck me, you, you showed us earlier your bottle of wine, your Yang Fei bottle of wine. And, and all I've been thinking about since that um, has been, how do you make your branding decisions? How do you brand your wine? How, what, what's your creative decision making? Of course, it's only
2: me. You know, I, I own you know, the whole company. So it's not, I don't, it's not, that's a, a, a very important thing. It, it would have been a lot harder if I'd ever had a joint venture partner. You know, to make wine there's you can m- make little, Concessions all the way along. Um, So, so, but it is you know for whatever it it is entirely controlled by me. And what I find is that the the other Chinese wine guys, on the whole, it's changing a little bit, but they've tended to pretend to be French wine. They want to pretend to be French wine, so their labeling is kind of faux faux French. Um, You know, the the last thing we need is more bloody you know second grade French wine. So, yeah, I mean, but no, this is Chinese wine you know, to go with Chinese food. So that, that, was, that was my decision, you know, uh, and that's why I, I very overtly um, uh, brand it as, as Chinese. I, I, that's not, it's not without criticism, I have to say. <laughs> you know, some of my staff say, oh, no, you, you, know, you, that, that, you know, they don't want that. They want, you know, more kind of foreign appearance and uh, so. But I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the Chinese are pretty patriotic. And as their um, self-belief grows... You know, they'll they oh, look you know, try this one it's a, you you know, a little something i find up in shandong you know you, you might like this at, at the moment you know nobody nobody gets blamed for serving petrus you know so, but but as as they they realize that you know the all these different tastes and actually i, I like this one and um yeah, yeah you like it so so i think that will change over time one and a half tell at the moment because in in the local distributors when you talk to them, typically say, well, look, everybody knows that French wine, you know, the foreign wine is better than um, than the Chinese wine. So why should I flog my guts out trying to sell your local stuff? You know, it's easy to bring in some cheap French. It's easy to sell. So, you know, so it's quite... And I've, I've been to, I've been at exhibitions, um, like in Hong Kong, we went to the big Vin Expo there. And uh, so I was doing my sprooking bit at the front of the, you know, roll up, you know, taste the best wine in China. And I've actually, I'd have people pass to the other side of the corridor to go past my booth.
3: <laughs> Do you feel the, the rising self-confidence, and as you mentioned earlier, patriotism in China is, is um, going to naturally help in terms of sales with yours? Even having a foreigner... Owning a company and being proud to label his things as traditionally Chinese—do you think that could be um, a, a, a real growing boon for the business? That's that's a hard that's a harder one. I mean, th- there certainly is a
2: growing, you know, pride and nationalism, and in, in some ways, it's not always healthy. Yeah, you know? um, I'm, you know, I think that's just the way it is. Um, but but you know, grad- you know, gradually, I. In some, in some things we've already seen, uh, like, um, you know, Coca-Cola tried to launch a tea brand in, in, in China. Yeah, no, we're Chinese, you <laughs> know, we don't want teas, we don't want bloody Coca-Cola. So, so I think gra- gradually they'll they grow in confidence in, in areas like wine. Um, I don't know whether, you know, I... I mm, whether as a, a foreigner, you know, doing it, I don't know. I keep, I keep, I, I, I fly a Scottish flag on the top of the castle and they keep telling me to take it down. So I take it down for a couple of days and put it back up again. But obviously somebody, somebody complains. <laughs> they said, well, we couldn't put foreign, you know, foreign nation flags up. I said, well, it's not a foreign nation. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Brilliant. Awesome. Um, uh,
3: just sort of, Connecting those two bits together, we were talking a little earlier uh, about your play, Before the Wall, Um, and um, obviously a very strong connection there in 1860 um, to British and French coming to China. Um, What is perceived in China as being uh, one of the greatest injustices in the history of the country, indeed one of... Um, the greatest tragedies, cultural tragedies in the history of their country with the burning and looting of the Summer Palace. Um, as a British man working, selling what is stereotypically considered to be a French product in China. So all but of it's these noises are quite interesting. Coming where, where, into,
0: <laughs> coming where into all from? of this,
3: um, where it
2: comes from is my all those years working as an interpreter. Oh, sorry, Chris, I, I missed that. <laughs> it is my all those years acting as an interpreter. So I'd have the foreigners on one side and the Chinese on the other side. And doing the interpreting, I could, I, I could sometimes see, you know, the huge kind of misunderstandings that were going on in, in the middle. So, so that was the, really the, um, the origin. And, and there's one, my favourite, the one I'm proudest of seen in, in Before the Wall is, um, is just such one where there's the, there's a, a, the meeting between Elgin and, and Gong, and um um and, and it's my own experience this um i got elgin talking in sporting analogies you know you know, it, well, we were batting on a bit of a sticky wicket and uh, you know he b- bowled me a googly there and, and, and of course the poor interpreter's got
3: no you got this isn't going to work you know he can't he can't just say anything so marvelous marvelous um and and what misunderstandings because it, it it, I really wish I could have gone to Edinburgh a couple of years ago to the Gilded Balloon and seen that, that play. Um, I'll, hopefully it will be on again at some time soon. It, it just mm. seems fascinating, but it seems to be a play a lot about misunderstandings mm. um, and how those misunderstandings from that period of time permeated and continue today. How do you feel those misunderstandings or those head ups that come from the century of humiliation and these things can still affect Doing business in China today. Yeah, what
2: one of it just shows you the different cultural things. One of the most uh, challenging uh, jobs I have. I, I once um, took um, the mayor of Doncaster on a town twinning trip to Dandong on the North Korean border. Just think about that for a minute. So, so we were all on the way out, and most of these guys were were working for the mining mining ex mining union guys. Um, and uh, I thought, well, look, you know, none of them have been east of Bridlington. You know, what's going on? No, I said, no one of them said, no, no, actually, I, I've been within 50 miles of downtown. We were machine gunning them as they were coming over the hill. I said, no, 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 we're not going to talk, talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. And um, so they used to speak in all these kind of idioms, which was so difficult. Um, so I'd, I'd say, because no, the Chinese didn't speak any English. So I just say, look, the Englishman has made a joke, kindly laugh. and they they were quite polite so they'd all laugh the other side of it you know and there was also like the and because they were labor there was a lot at that time going back a bit now there's a lot of criticism of thatcher Hmm. right Hmm. and but in china they're criticizing the you know the the prime minister what what is going on i mean you know you could see them there was great confusion so i had to cut as they were speaking i had to cut great swathes out of the out of their speeches and reinterpret them it was that was a very tough. That was a very tough one.
1: Keeping the peace through t- interpreting, just <laughs> highly edited <to> interpreting. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: And, and and you haven't asked me about. So I'm going to. So I'm going to tell you about um, my my um, my day job, uh, which is. I have to say, is a lot more remunerative. Um, so, from 2006, I saw an opportunity um, in Chinese healthcare. So we've been running um, uh, funds investing in the Chinese healthcare uh, industry since that time. And it's really a function of demographics, people getting wealthier and older and and, and the demand that that throws up. And and from that, my newest uh, venture is um, uh, the Ethical China Fund. So so for this last, um, oh, about a couple of years now, we've been running effectively an ESG fund in, in China. But this is... I'm, a lot of the ESG stuff, I haven't got much time for it, sort of box ticking, really. But this is so investing in companies that do good for the Chinese people. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that at the moment. We, we, we've um, I persuaded my Shanghai team to take a big position in Blue City. Have you heard of this? No. What's what Blue City do? Blue City is the biggest uh, Asian gay social network. Um, its office is in Beijing. It's listed in New York. It's a hell of a, you know, it's a hell of a thing, really. I mean, it, you know, to, as a, to be a homosexual in in yeah. China these last year is, you know, not an easy thing to do. And these guys, I think, are doing a great job. So, so you get, we're doing stuff on gender. So, investing in companies run and owned by by women. My next one is is um, investing in companies um, run and owned by national minorities. But that, that's, that's the next step, which is a slightly more challenging.
1: Amazing. That's national minorities within China, like um... Uyghur, Mongolia, yeah. Tibetan. Yeah. Amazing. That's very, that's very cool. And what kind of, what do you look for in investment? If you're looking to invest in a company that obviously with this is things that are good for Chinese people socially, socially, right?
2: So it it's, I mean, if you look at the portfolio, there's quite a lot of um, environment, environment related. So um, uh, quite a bit of new energy, wind power. We're very, you know, we're quite long of at the moment. Um, Some areas of the electric vehicle industry, uh, and so forth, but but I'm keen that they don't just interpret it like that. I, 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 I have a sort of a uh, you know I want to make it a bit broader than that, so that's why I'm trying to bring in these kind of social. Um, there's a company, for example, a uh, listed company that only invests uh, um, uh, employees d- disabled people.
3: Yeah yeah
1: It's
3: good it's a contribution, you know yeah, fantastic. Uh, how broad are these companies in terms of their spread, Chris, as well? Uh, uh, a lot of them focused in particular cities or areas of China? Or are they quite evenly and broadly spread across the whole country? No, broadly spread. And actually, the one I
2: mentioned, the, the gay uh, website, the Blue City, they're now their number one in India, number one in
3: Vietnam for, for gay. So, so you know, they, they're going international. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, and do a lot of these companies help contribute towards the poverty reduction goals in China as well? Yeah. A lot of them have um, something to do with that or cooperate closely with those initiatives. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I have to say, I I, I, I sort of,
2: you know, I, well, I have to be careful what I say. Um, you know, the recent announcement, you know, it, you know, politicians are politicians, aren't they? And they have their targets and, uh, you know, ahead of big meetings, they need to show that they've met the targets and stuff. But anybody who, does any business in China. I mean, that there is progress. Absolutely. I have no, absolutely no doubt. Um, you know, I can see in, in my little village in Shandong, you know, the change has been huge, uh, but you know, to claim, to claim victory, I think is, is a little, uh, perhaps a little, a little far-fetched.
3: <laughs>
2: perhaps a bit of noise whilst work continues underneath the noise. <laughs> but, but certainly when I, you know, Mulan Go, when I first there, there was no roads, there was no lighting and, um, Oh, you now it's, it's, you know, it's, it's looking nice. And I can see a, a change in people's mentality for the first really 10 so years. If I train the young guys, mostly they'd leave and go to Beijing or Shanghai. Everybody wanted to escape the countryside and go to the big city. And I'm just starting to see a few young guys. Oh, you know, greenery, fresh air, or, you know, different pace of life. Oh, it's Okay. So, yeah, I don't want to overstate that, but I can just feel that we're just at the start of that kind of a
1: shift, you know. I've heard the Beijing dream is something like fresh air and clean water, you know. <laughs> so I can, I can imagine, I think that there was such a sudden shift of to, to, to the cities from the countryside in China, like was it 300 plus million people all migrating in a really short period of time. So I can imagine that equation kind of has to rebalance a little bit as people realise there's more to life than just necessarily living in a city and high yeah. expensive bills and working hard. You know, there's, um, yeah. there's other ways to live, which yeah. is, is, is good. I think. So
2: that's, so actually I, you know, the, the next, the, it's rural revitalization is the now the the next big uh, the buzzword. So I think that'll be discussed more at the MPC, which is going on, starts tomorrow. Amazing.
1: So hopefully that, you know, that will uh, have some more beneficial effect.
2: <laughs> on the countryside.
1: Uh, Chris, what, advice would you give to somebody that's looking to go to china to work in china perhaps for the first time um well you know it's you know a huge opportunity
2: and there's so much to do there so you know so terribly exciting i've you know i've had a whole career that's been great i guess the it's you know nothing happens quickly you know is um is it did you read that book by a man called Jack Bukowski um, he was um a, the Beijing so, Jeep. It, it starts with two that rule one um in in China everything is possible rule two nothing is easy <laughs>
1: yeah I think i read one of his, his books captions, he was in the um well. he was in the vehicle these prime vehicles exactly Beijing yeah. yeah okay yeah I think I read his one of his books about um maybe it's got dragged in the title I can't
0: remember yeah,
2: exactly that, that, that's the one yeah yeah
0: yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. I thought it was quite funny but uh, um so and um, and then if you know, if you, compared to places like Russia or something, you've got much better food. So that's you know that's um, yeah I think that's uh, and now increasingly better wine as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's good to know. If you know people go to China and they're there and they want some quality wine, then um, yeah. and I've they, they made know a big to go.
2: contribution to the the health of my local communist party because they used to have to drink baijiu at all the the the, the feasts they organise, but now of course they you know they drink uh they, they drink wine so you know it's much better
1: and if people want to visit shandong um your castle is a hotel as well a hotel and restaurant you're
2: most welcome to come yes i think you know i think and there's a lot of uh, as you know nice things to visit around there uh, like Peng up on the cliffs the, the temples on the cliffs in, in Peng lai and uh, yentai san is interesting to visit and uh and it's nice in the different seasons. The, uh, if, if you come from June is, is cherries and then uh, then you move to apricots and uh, um, uh, end with apples. Uh, and it's really the kingdom of apples. There's some beautiful apples grown in our local area, the big Fuji apples for, uh, for, for the Japanese market. Yeah, the, I mean, the Yanta apples are famous for all of China, I think big um, ones, we, you know, like. Oh, very nice. And we, and we actually do, we, we've organised a few activities for children because what I find is that, you know, the Chinese children brought up in a city, um, you know, they don't know where milk comes from. So we have a couple of goats and we, and we, get, and, and they can, we, we get them to milk the goat and then drink the milk from the goat. And um, we also take them out to, to collect the eggs. You know, oh, the children really like it. That's amazing. You know, it's, a, cool. it's sort of a reconnection with uh you know pretty recent you
1: know roots absolutely that's very that's awesome
3: any more questions will or anything you'd like to talk about um chris sure i'm sorry to to backtrack ever so slightly um when you were talking chris about um your healthcare funds and also learning a little about that um for the good of the chinese people uh, given the quite quickly changing demographic shift from the older population becoming a lot bigger and the younger population becoming a lot smaller. Um, Have you noticed any interesting gradual cultural changes for things like care for the elderly within communities or being offered by businesses, even old people's homes, sort of, you know, something that's almost an unheard of thing culturally or culturally repugnant in some ways for Chinese becoming something that might actually be a thing in China in the future.
2: I'm, I'm very interested in that. It's it's one of these things that's clearly a huge headache and challenge for the for the uh, uh, the Chinese population, and it's of course it's accelerated because of the one-child policy and everything. And yet, you know, if you send your your your, your parents to a an old people's home, you you know you're unfilial. You know, you haven't done the right thing. So I've actually um, I've actually invested in a British company, which I'm trying to take to China. Uh, the British company is called Anthropos. And basically, it uses the Internet of Things to help old people stay in their own homes longer. So it uses uh, sensors. And then there's um, a dashboard which shows the son. Oh, your dad got up at 7.30, made himself a cup of tea. You know, he's been getting up two or three times a night rather than twice, so you might want to check that out. Or, you know, so it, uh, so I thought, oh, you know, that, that has legs because in China, you've got a lot of uh, the sons, really guilty sons and daughters in Beijing, Shanghai, whose parents are out in the... In the countryside and they worry about it you know so if they could have some kind of way of of of, of keeping track i think that would be interesting so so that's a that's a, a project a project i'm working on at the moment
3: marvelous um and chris given your very long history um now with uh, with china over the decades um and i say very long um because so much has has changed in terms of relations between the Western China, but even between Britain and China um, during this time, many peaks and troughs. Yeah. At the moment, um, looking at it from the outside, from someone who may not work with China, who may not be involved with China in day-to-day business and running of things, relations can look pretty bad um, right now. Probably they look, in terms of general optics, uh, as bad as they've been since the 80s you know, at the yeah. very least. Yeah. um but of course working with China we know the reality of doing business is a little different to the headlines and the news stories mm. where do you see the future going um and are you optimistic well as you when I was talking
2: about the ethical China fund I talked about what's benefiting the Chinese people and mm. I said that on purpose um and and I think in trying to I want to make it clear that that's what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, uh, supporting the the, the the you know the Chinese Communist Party, and we don't invest in state-owned enterprises and so forth. So, um, so I think that's quite important, just to, you know, separate the two, the two uh, the, the two items. I don't I don't know, you know, how they row back from where where they've got to. I, you know, when um, I, I was in China when um, uh, Xi Jinping announced the ending of the Deng Xiaoping system of of the rolling, and, uh, and I could see you know senior Chinese guys, management, they were shocked. They were really shocked. Um, and it's it's difficult now. You know, it, in the old days, you know, it, okay, well you don't you're not part of this, but you know, wait another five years and who knows, you know, things will change and you've got a way through. But as of today, you know, if you're not you know part of um, in in the sea line, you you're out of it permanently. Um, so I don't, I don't know whether he's a, able to, you know, nominate a successor and, and, and restart again. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's, it's, I think he's got himself into a slightly tricky situation in a way, you know, part of the problem in, in Hong Kong, I think has been, that's what's behind it. You know, while there was a, still a sense of, 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 of progress and okay, you know, but now it is where it is. It's, it's, I think that's led to a lot of the, uh, antagonism and antipathy
3: Mm, mm. Um, I mean from from my perspective working as a small business doing um, cultural exchange with China obviously the COVID-19 crisis had a huge effect on our business practically but the demand for these small level cultural exchanges has actually increased from China Um, even amongst this bleak backdrop um so I find a bit of a reason to be optimistic still even with these maneuverings that are happening. Um, do you think that there'll be more opportunity still even within this system for foreign investment to come into um, areas like these healthcare funds and for an open environment to still exist, even against I'm, I'm, a portrayed bleak outlook?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm sure. Although politically perhaps we've taken a couple of steps back. economically, it's still opening up you know i i haven't I haven't seen any any sort of pullback on that side of things so
3: so in terms of access, I think that's actually improving and would you still encourage people to go to china to work in china to make lives and to understand it yeah, of course you know
2: you know so in so interesting and so exciting so you know and it's a it's a huge thing it's um you know, if 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 you're a company of any scale, it's you've got to have a view on it. I mean, your view might be oh, this is too complicated and too far away, and we're not going to do it, which is uh, that's fair enough. You know, but, but I think you need a you need to have an informed view.
3: Definitely. How do you think it's best to get an informed view of China? What should you do when you're there, when you're actually in China? Oh,
2: I think try and talk to as many different types of people as possible. Um, you know yeah and then and you know travel around not you know don't just stay in your five-star hotel you know go and visit a few of the i always used to try when when i was organizing visits for investors i always try and take them somewhere out into the boondocks you know just to show them the other the other china um actually um uh, last year we had um, a board meeting in Lhasa. As, as the average age of the board was 70 i was a bit nervous um but I, I took them by train and, and they were popping the little red pills, you know, the rhodiola for two weeks beforehand. So I didn't lose any of them. So that was so that was good.
1: Correct. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, when you're back in when you're back in China, Chris, is it are you are you waiting for is it about oh. coronavirus things or
2: I? yeah I, I i can get back i actually um you can get a special letter so my guys went to Jinan and got a letter um but you still have to do the the long um quarantine at the central hotel i i i tried to swing it oh of course i can quarantine at my own hotel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that didn't work that didn't work my my guanxi isn't isn't that good um so i couldn't swing that so oh, it's a long it's a long time to be um to, to be stuck so I'm waiting for a little bit perhaps um yeah perhaps perhaps this, this summer i'll get a chance to go back i i, I actually I, I missed the harvest for the first time in since i planted the vines last year which is such a such a shame because that's the best time to be there you know september october if you if you get a chance to visit that's really nice
1: yes and then in on the weather it's just beautiful in september it's just dry As and a, clear and sunny and- the,
2: the biggest headache i have is rain in august so um, if you, if you see the vineyard, all the grapes are well off the ground. It's, we grow thick skinned grapes. And, uh, but, uh, if you can nurse them through that, then, you know, in the last couple of years, we picked, uh, the last day of picking was November the
1: 5th. Oh,
2: so, so you know, quite late. I've, I've also, by the way, I've introduced Guy Fawkes to, to China. So we have, we always have a, on November the 5th, we always have a Guy Fawkes night. We know, you know what's not like, you know, bonfire fireworks. Oh, it all goes down well.
1: Brilliant.
2: <laughs>
3: blowing up the parliament <laughs> we don't go into that bit we don't go into that bit.
1: <laughs> that's amazing well for me i'm it's been it's been great um really good to talk to you chris
2: very good. Well, nice nice to talk to you. Really, please, Once you've country. tried my wines, please uh, drop me a line and tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, we, could, we just have to do this again. I think there's lots to talk about with China. And um, just thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm looking forward to booking some nights in the in the castle and um, coming and staying <laughs> yes, back in Shandong. Oh, I expect you. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be brilliant. Very, Very good. Go good. on. Thanks so much. Cheers. Bye. Thank you, Chris. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to China Chit Chat and our interview with Chris Raffel today. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope to see you next time. You can find more information on the interview with Chris, including where to buy his book and wine, on our website, chinachitchat.com. You can also get in touch with any questions, comments or feedback through the website. If you like the show, please leave us a review and recommend us to your friends as this will be really helpful. You can also follow us on Instagram. For more information on ADN import foods, visit adnimports.com. And for more information on Opportunity China, visit opportunity-china.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.